0: Unfortunately, I need to begin the sermon with some sad news. Richard Johnson has died today. For those of you that don't know who Richard is, he and his wife Linda would usually sit up towards the front of the church. If you were facing the front, they would be on the right side. Richard and Linda were always there together, and they they were sitting next to their daughter, Michelle, her husband, Thomas, and then their son, Anthony, and their daughter, Sarah. So Richard died sometime this morning. We don't know exactly what happened yet. But it appears that something went wrong with his heart. So we lost him. Heaven gained him. Please pray for Linda, his wife. Please pray for Thomas and for Michelle. For Anthony and for Sarah. And please, I know you will. Continue to pray, but also offer any encouragement you can support in the days and the weeks to come. We're going to miss Richard. In the days following the death of Jesus, his disciples and other followers, they were understandably distraught. The leader that they loved and looked up to had just been tortured and killed. And so they were filled with sorrow. Probably something very similar to what Linda is feeling this evening. They lost Jesus, whom they loved so dearly. Many of them went into hiding in the next couple of days, and many of them fled the city of Jerusalem altogether. And Luke 24 describes two of these followers. They stuck around for a bit, and then they left for a town called Emmaus, which was a village about seven miles away from Jerusalem. And on their way there, they were walking, and Jesus, who unbeknownst to them, had risen from the dead. He secretly approached them and he began to speak to them and we're told that somehow he did that and was able to veil his identity from them. And so he has this conversation with these two followers and he asks them why it was that they were so sad. And then one of them named Cleopas, he gave the following answer, and this is in verses 18 through 21 of Luke 24. Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, this is why they were so sad. A man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. Verse 21. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. So their answer to why they were so sad was not just because their friend and mentor had died, but because his death was also the death Of their hope what did they say they they had hoped that he was the Redeemer they had hoped that he was the Savior who had been promised to them but when he died their hope was crushed it was like well obviously he's not the rescuer from God because he's dead So you read that story, and Jesus left them in that despair for a while, for the rest of the afternoon. And then that evening at the dinner table, Jesus revealed himself. He somehow unveiled his identity so that they knew that it was him. Now, those two followers they understood that afternoon the point that Paul is making in our text today. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, then he is not a savior. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, then he is no savior And his followers are a pathetic and pitiful people. In a way, Paul does for the Corinthians in our text tonight what Jesus did for those men on the road to Emmaus. He leads them to consider the tragic consequences of a dead Savior, before proclaiming his resurrection. So we'll study Paul's words tonight and we'll be reminded of the importance of the resurrection of Jesus. Please remember, it is God's word that we're studying tonight. Not just any old book, but the book the book that God has written to reveal himself to us. It is in this book, the Bible alone, that we learn who God is, that we learn who we are, that we learn how God wants us to live. And so if God would help us when we're preaching and listening to preaching, if God would help us we can and will be changed forever through His Word and by His Spirit. Which is why we always begin the preaching of God's Word with prayer. Will you please bow your heads with me? Our Father in Heaven, by Your Spirit and through Your Holy Word, enlighten our minds so that we would understand and ignite our hearts so that we would be filled with affection for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. Tonight's sermon... Can be outlined into three parts. Part one is the inconsistent position, the Corinthians' inconsistent position or belief. Paul will point that out. Then, the second part, the dreadful consequences of that inconsistent position. And then third, the glorious reality. Paul will point out their inconsistent position. He will point out the dreadful consequences of that position. And then he will remind them of the truth, what is in fact the glorious reality. But before reading verse 12, that's our first verse tonight. Before reading verse 12, we need to start by defining a term, and that term is resurrection. Paul will refer to resurrection 24 times in this chapter, and half of them are in the text that we're reading. So what is resurrection? Well, human beings, you and me, we are embodied souls. When God created you, he created your body and your soul. So you here tonight, you are not just a body. You are not just a soul. You are a body and soul, and there is There is no separating them. There is no such thing as an out-of-body experience until death. Death is and will be for you the separation of your body and soul. Your body will stay here on earth. And your soul will go to be either where Jesus is or isn't. And that separation of your body and soul, that is life after death. Now resurrection is not that. Resurrection is life after life after death. Resurrection is the reuniting of your body and soul. Resurrection is the reversal of death. Let me read you from part of paragraph 1 and paragraph 2 of chapter 31 from the London Baptist Confession. It's defined precisely there. The bodies of those who have died return to dust and undergo destruction, but their souls neither die nor sleep because they have an immortal character. Fast forward, chapter two, or paragraph two. At the last day, that is, when Jesus returns. The dead will be raised up with the very same bodies, not different ones. Though they will have different qualities, their bodies will be united again to their souls forever. That's resurrection. And as we're going to see, some in Corinth did not believe it. They did not believe in resurrection. Okay. Now that we understand that term, we can move into our first section. Number one, first, the Corinthians' inconsistent position. Verse 12. Now, Paul writes, If Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... How can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? That's straightforward. Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead. Not only is Christ proclaimed as being raised from the dead, the Corinthians believed that he was raised from the dead. Look just above in verses 3 and 4. That's what Paul had preached to them. Christ died for our sins. Verse 4, he was buried and he was raised on the third day. Look at the end of verse 11. So we preach and so you believed. It seems that the Corinthians believed that Christ was raised from the dead. So, verse 12, How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? A very fair question. The Corinthians are being inconsistent. If dead men don't rise, then Jesus did not rise. Paul goes on and he states the obvious in verse 13. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ Has been raised. You see the point Paul is making? A denial of the resurrection is a denial of the resurrection of Christ. So, how can you say that, Corinthians? Is Paul's question. We're not told why the Corinthians denied resurrection. But it could have been that they were influenced by the Greek philosophy of the day, which saw the body as a prison and saw death as a good thing in that it was an escape from that evil prison body. And so the idea of a resurrection, a reuniting of your soul to your body, In Greek philosophy, that was seen as repulsive. That might have been why some of the Corinthians said, no, 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 there's no resurrection. There's no reuniting of our soul to our body, whatever the reason. Paul's point is clear. The Corinthians' position, it is inconsistent. It's so important to Paul that they see that that he repeats the same thing in verse 16. Verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Fine, Paul is saying. Fine. You don't believe in resurrection, but understand, if you don't believe in a resurrection, then not even Jesus Has been raised from the dead. And the logical consequences of Jesus not rising from the dead are devastating. That's what those two followers on the road to Emmaus were facing. A savior who had died and they thought was gone forever. And so that now is this dark, dark road that Paul leads the Corinthians down. These are, secondly, the dreadful consequences. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, here are, and Paul's going to list, five dreadful consequences. He's already pointed out to the Corinthians that their position, it is illogical, it is inconsistent, but now he's going to continue his correction by playing out the bleak consequences to their resurrection rejection. First consequence, our preaching is empty. If Christ was not raised, then our preaching is empty. Verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. That word vain, it means Empty. It means without content. What have I personally been doing with my life for the past 22 years if Jesus did not rise from the dead? That would mean that my preaching is empty. There's nothing true or good in it. Not only is our preaching empty, our testimonies about God are untrue. Christians are misrepresenting God. They are lying. Verse 15. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. So that's the first consequence. If Christ was not raised, our preaching is empty. Number two, your faith is empty and Useless. Verse 14 again. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Our faith is empty. Our faith has no substance to it. Our faith has no content. If, if faith is Taking hold of Christ. If faith is taking hold of Christ and he did not rise from the dead, then there is no Christ to take hold of. In that case, we are no different from the many false religions who worship a God who is not there. Verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. It's not just empty. It is useless. It is worthless. It is the same word used in James 1.26 to describe worthless religion. If you're a Christian, you know this. If you are really a Christian, and this is one way to know if you're really a Christian. If you are a Christian, there is nothing more useful to you than your faith. Out of everything you have out of all the help you have, out of all the money and possessions and people and family and support, out of everything that you have, Christian. Isn't that true? Nothing is of more use to you than your faith in Jesus. It strengthens you. It encourages you. It keeps you. It emboldens you, it convicts you, it comforts you, but it is useless and empty if Christ was not raised from the dead. Number three, the third dreadful consequence. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, you are still In your sins. Ephesians 2, verse 1 and verse 5, Colossians 2, verse 13 describes us in relation to our sin this way We are dead in our sins. We are dead in our sins. We are as good as dead. In our sins, we are so weighted down by the guilt and the condemnation of our sin. Apart from a Savior, it has sealed our eternal destiny, and it is to be forever under the condemnation and judgment of a holy God. You are, because of your sin, as good as dead already. But Paul preached this good news in verse 3. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. But that is not true. It is not true that Jesus died for our sins if Jesus did not rise from the dead. And so Paul says in verse 17 if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If Jesus stayed dead, then he didn't conquer anything, he didn't conquer death. Our sins are not forgiven. The resurrection, Jason mentioned this in one of his prayers. The resurrection is indication of Christ's victory over sin. If he stays dead, you don't know. Did he win? Is he the victor? Did he conquer anything? But the resurrection, it is the means by which we know our sins have been forgiven. Romans 4.25 Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and so his death paid the price for our sin. And we are justified because of his sacrifice and our faith in him. And it says at the end of Romans 4, 25, he was raised for our justification. That is, he was raised so that you know that you are justified. His resurrection is proof that his death was a sufficient payment for our sins. So it becomes clear when Jesus raises from the dead, he won. He was victorious. He did what he said he was going to do. He conquered. He defeated Satan and sin and death. One commentator writes, when God the Father raised Christ from the dead, it was a demonstration that he accepted Christ's suffering and death as full payment for sin, and that the Father's favor, no longer his wrath against sin, was directed toward Christ and through Christ toward those who believe. And F.L. Godet said, Christ dead without resurrection Would be a condemned, not a justified Christ. So, how could he justify others? If Christ was not raised, then you are still in your sins. Number four, those who have fallen asleep have perished. Now wait and listen to what fallen asleep means. Verse 18. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. The term fallen asleep, that is used in the Bible to describe Christians who have died. Like Pilate didn't fall asleep when he died, he died. Judas didn't fall asleep when he died. He died. When a believer dies, he falls asleep in the Lord. They have not perished. Their soul has gone to be with Jesus. And one day they will be resurrected unto eternal life. But, And here's what Paul is saying in this verse. If if Jesus is not alive, then Christians who have died have not gone to be with him because he's not alive. They have perished, which means they are, as we speak, under the eternal judgment of God, which means that Paul was wrong when he said in Philippians 1.21, to die is gain. No, it's not. To die is not gain if Jesus did not rise from the dead. Actually, those believers who have fallen asleep, they have perished. If Christ was not raised from the dead, then those who have fallen asleep have perished. One more consequence. And it is a cumulative consequence. They've all been building to this one. If Christ has not been raised, yes, our preaching is empty and our faith is empty and it is useless and We are still dead in our sin and believers have actually died and perished. And that means, number five, that Christians are the most pitiable people in the entire world. Let's think about this. Verse 19. If. In Christ we have hope in this life only. We are of all people most to be pitied. Think about it. People like Paul and the Corinthians in following Christ had given up comfort. They had given up Many freedoms. Some of them had even given up their life, and they gave all of that up for a savior who they believed was alive. But if they gave up the comfort and they gave up the freedom and they gave up their lives and all of that for a savior who is dead and does not save, how pitiful. Paul will say in verse 30 that the Corinthians were, because of their faith and their stand for Christ, they were in danger every hour. Let's try and relate to them. Most of us have to use our imagination because we we have not been in danger every hour because of our faith. We have brothers and sisters all over the world who right now are in danger. But most of us, we don't know what that's like. But for these Corinthians who had placed their faith in Christ, it jeopardized their lives. It jeopardized the lives of their family. They were in danger every hour in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. In chapter 6, verse 4 and 5, he pointed to afflictions and hardships and calamities and beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, and hunger because they were Christians. What is the point of that kind of life if Jesus is not alive? That's what Paul is saying. What is the point of that kind of life if Jesus is not alive? What is the point if he's not able to save us from our sin? What is the point if there is no eternity with him? They might as well, as Paul will suggest in verse 32, eat and drink for tomorrow they die. If Jesus did not raise from the dead, then what is the point of following him? What is the point of, for the Corinthians, giving up comfort and giving up freedom and giving up their life? What is the point of that if Jesus is not alive? They should stop. They should eat and drink, for tomorrow they die. This life is as good as it's going to get. So you might as well live and squeeze every ounce of pleasure out of this life that you possibly can because the clock is ticking. And when your clock is done ticking, it's over and you have perished. So to live a life for Christ and to take a stand for him and to organize everything around him and to live All your days in a way that is Christ centered and to be willing to take up your cross daily and follow Him, to be willing to sacrifice, to be willing to lose things that are dear to you or important to you. To do that, if Christ did not rise from the dead, is pitiful. It's embarrassing. It's shameful. And we should, this word pitiful, pitiable, we should feel sorry for such a person, totally deluded and headed in the wrong direction. To the Corinthians these are the logical consequences of their inconsistent position. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then Christians are the most pitiful people in the world. And that is that is the very dark portrait that Paul has painted in our text for the Corinthians and for us. For them, A.M. Ramsey said, for them, that is the apostles, the gospel without the resurrection was not merely a gospel without its final chapter. It was not a gospel at all. So he causes them to consider these Dreadful consequences. And now he's caused us to consider these dreadful consequences. These horrible what ifs. And it's almost more than we can stomach, isn't it? To spend 20, 25 minutes understanding this bleak picture that Paul has painted. But there's one more verse tonight. Verse 20. Here is the glorious reality. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. That's his response. You don't believe in the resurrection? Well, if you don't believe in the resurrection, if you don't believe that souls and bodies are reunited, then you don't believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. And if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, our what is the point of preaching and what is the point of faith? And you're still not forgiven of your sins. You're still at enmity with God and Christians are the most pitiful people in the entire world, but Christ has been raised from the dead. So none of those things are true. Our preaching is full, our faith is full. There is nothing more useful to us than our faith. We are not still in our sins. Our sins have been forgiven. We are no longer under the condemnation of God. We've been adopted into his family and he is our father. And he is pledged to love us and to protect us for all of time. Because Jesus has been raised from the dead. Richard Johnson has not perished, he has merely fallen asleep. He is absent from his body, which means that he is at this very moment present with the Lord. It means that this morning he gained. To live was Christ and to die was gain. And he will, verse 20, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And so Richard has fallen asleep and he will one day be resurrected just like Jesus was resurrected. That's what that means. Jesus was the first fruits. What are the first fruits? You plant your garden or you plant your apple tree. And then you go out there in the spring and you find the first fruit. And that first fruit is indication of the kind of fruit that's going to come in the next few months. And so the resurrection of Jesus, it is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. They too, that means, will one day be resurrected. Do you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead? There is nothing more unbelievable that Christians believe. Do you believe it? If you don't believe it, you don't believe the gospel. Do you believe that Jesus conquered sin? Do you believe that he is alive? And do you believe that he is reigning? And so he is Lord and he is Savior. If you do believe that, can you tell when you look at your life, can you tell when you look at your life that you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead? Is it obvious that your hope is not in this life? You enjoy this life, the gifts that God has given you. You recognize that they're from above. And so you're grateful for whatever it is that he's given you, whether it's a lot or a little. You're thankful for the people in your life, I bet, more than you're thankful for anything else. You're grateful. You enjoy that. But you also know that that doesn't even come close to comparing to the joy that's in store for you in the new heavens and the new earth. You believe that one day you will be reunited with God. You will be with Him and you will be like Him. And there will be no sin between you. And you will have the purest relationship with Him that you've ever had. And there will be no more brokenness. And there will be no more confession. You won't hurt anybody anymore. And no one will hurt you. You won't slip with your words or with your thoughts. All fear will be gone. All uncertainty will be gone. No more anxiety. No more temptation. If you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, then your hope is not in this life only. Remember, Paul says that's what would be pitiful. Your hope is in a life to come. So do you live that way? Do I live that way? I'm asking myself. The time and attention that I give to myself and others physically and materially. Do I do the same at least or more spiritually? I'm a body and a soul. You're a body and a soul. Are we mindful of that? Are we thinking about this? Are we thanking God for this? Or are we like those that Paul describes potentially that are the most pitiable people in the world because they do not believe truly that Jesus raised from the dead? A denial of the resurrection is a denial of the resurrection of Christ. And without the resurrection of Christ, Christians have... No hope. At the end of every sermon, we take time to respond to God's word by taking communion together. We do this in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ in remembrance of what he has accomplished for us on the cross through his death. Paul writes in this letter we're studying in chapter 11, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often... And this is what we'll do tonight. As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If you're visiting tonight and you are a Christian, you're free to take this supper with us. If you're a baptized believer who has placed your faith in Christ, you've been united to him and his people. You are committed to them. You are committed committed to this church or another local church that preaches this same gospel, if you're a Christian, please take communion with us. We'll have leaders who are going to serve. Stand up at that time so that we know that you want to take the bread and the juice. And then once you receive them, please sit back down so that we know you've been served and wait. And we'll take it together as a church family. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for his sacrifice so that we would not get what we deserve, but that he got what we deserved in our place. That is great love. There is no greater love. Thank you, God. We hope that you'll be glorified and pleased in this time as we focus in this way that you've called us to and remember and proclaim the death of your son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.